Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Managing Director, Charts and Data Operations at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Not bad. How about yourself, Keith? I'm okay. I'm all right. Great. Uh, happy uh, Independence Day. Right. It's a holiday week. Um, actually, you might hear this on a holiday. Who knows? You, Crazy. Yeah. Maybe you choose to spend your 4th of July with us, and, well, we thank you for that. Indeed. Um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Morgan Wallen's continuing domination on the Billboard 200 has now blocked 11 different albums from hitting number one. Because, you know, that's what happens when you spend 35 million weeks at number one. Correct. Plus, we also have news on how Nicki Minaj, Ice Spice, and Aqua have all teamed up for a new top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with Barbie World. Also on the show, we're talking about Madonna's hospitalization last week for a bacterial infection and what that means for her upcoming celebration tour. Plus, Olivia Rodrigo has released Vampire, the first taste of her upcoming sophomore album Guts, and we'll talk all about the theatrical new song and our first impressions, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast... Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let us do the chart chat. First up, Morgan Wallen's One Thing at a Time logs a 15th non-consecutive week in total at number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart. And it earned 110,500 equivalent album units in the U.S. in the week ending June 29th, of course, according to Luminate. Um, the album, and now I'm, I'm going to say information that I don't normally talk about just because it's going to lead into something which requires this information. Okay. So the album, One Thing at a Time, was released on the labels Big Loud via Mercury Records through Republic Records. So Republic Records is the kind of the main distributing label for Mm -hmm. this album. Um, And One Thing at a Time also continues to have the most weeks at number one for any album since Adele's 21 spent 24 weeks at number one in 2011 and 2012. Now, the Republic Records label has now been number one for the last 17 weeks in a row since the March 18th chart when One Thing at a Time debuted at number one. So One Thing at a Time had its first 12 consecutive weeks at number one. It then stepped aside on June 10th and June 17th when Taylor Swift's Midnights, which is also on Republic, returned to number one and Stray Kids' Five Star, which was released through JYP Imperial and, hey, Republic, debuted at number one. And then after that, One Thing at a Time has returned to number one for the last three weeks. So, you might be wondering, that 
is that a long time for one record label to be number one? Actually, it is. <laughs> the last time any label has had 17 consecutive weeks at number one was in 1992, more than 30 years ago, when Mercury ruled for 17 consecutive weeks with Billy Ray Cyrus's Some Gave All. Uh, point to ponder, possibly for chart geeks and also general knowledge, I did say how Mercury is involved with Morgan's album because this album was released on Big Loud through Mercury through Republic. And then you think, oh, wow, is that the same Mercury as Billy Ray Cyrus's Mercury back in 1992? Mm, not really. They have the same logo, but that's kind of the only commonality. The Mercury Records label, I think, started in the 1940s and continued as a label on through, I think, I want to say the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And then it was like reactivated at some point once, and then it kind of fizzled away in the mid-2010s. And then last year, it was reactivated again as effectively just an imprint of Republic Records. So... The staff that currently works at Republic has no real common anything with the the label that was there in 1992. Right. But, you know, I fall into a rabbit hole. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> also in the new top 10 of the Billboard 200, uh, Young Thug scores his eighth top 10 charting album with Business is Business debuting at number two. Peso Pluma captures his first top 10 and the highest charting album ever for a regional Mexican album as Genesis launches at number three. And Kelly Clarkson, friend of the podcast, nabs her ninth top ten with the number six arrival of Chemistry. I think Pestle Pluma would be fine with us calling it Genesis, but I'm sure if you were a Spanish it, speaker, it probably would be it. like Hanesis. Because oh, it's it would be an H. There but... is an ac there is an accent on the first E, so I did screw that up. No, no, well, I mean So it's Hanesis? No. Yeah, like okay. because the accent and the but I don't think you need to like repronounce it because I'm I'm sure he chose this word because it translates into multiple languages, you know, like the fact that it is spelled like Genesis, like the Bible book to us means that we can pronounce it our way. A Spanish speaker will pronounce it their way. And I think that that's probably kind of the intention, you know? Well, well then I'll leave all that in just exactly. so people can understand and have a, have a better appreciation. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, staying with the Billboard 200. So if Young Thug's Business is Business goes no higher than number two on the chart, it will mark the 11th album that One Thing at a Time has blocked from number one. So I went through and looked at every week when One Thing at a Time was number one. And if the album at number two had never previously been number one, or had not eventually gotten to number one. So those albums are Twice's Ready to Be, Jimin's Face, Melanie Martinez's Portals, NF's Hope, Metallica's 72 Seasons, August D's D-Day, 17's 17 10th mini album, FML, Ed Sheeran's Subtract, Niall Horan's The Show, A-Teases The World EP2 Outlaw, and now Business is Business. 
So one, that's a lot of K-pop albums that were it denied is. number one. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite sort of appreciate that until you sort of see all <laughs> of them in them front all. of you. Yeah. Um, but it's also not unusual for an album to spend a long amount of time at number one and just end up keeping a number of albums from number one, you know, especially right. with the way the chart works. Um, so it's not like it's not like Morgan set out to block people from number one. Right. It's just how the chart works. Um, so like last year, eight different albums peaked at number two behind Bad Bunny's Un Verano Senti. Um, in 2016, Drake's Views also kept eight different albums at number two during its 13-week run at number one. Uh, in 2014, the Frozen soundtrack prevented 10 different albums from hitting number one. And um, the last number one album to block 11 different albums from number one was Adele's 21. It's that album again. So it actually stopped 15 different albums from hitting number one that all like stuck at number two um, along the 24 different weeks that it was number one, uh, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, Lastly, on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, Morgan Wallen's Last Night notches the 13th week at number one, becoming one of only 14 songs to ever spend at least 13 weeks at number one. Plus, Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice's Barbie World with Aqua, this song is billed to Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice with Aqua, debuts at number seven. The song, which is from the upcoming Barbie movie, which is due out in theaters on July 21st, starts with 16.2 million streams, 4.7 million in radio audience, and 37,000 copies sold, all in the U.S. in the week ending June 29th, of course, according to Luminate. It is Nikki's 23rd top 10 and the fourth for Ice Spice. I wonder if this will end up being a bigger hit. I I feel like it's kind of the signature song attached to the Barbie soundtrack, And the Barbie movie, just because of the, you know, everyone thinking of that Barbie girl song. But, um, and I imagine as the executive producer of the Barbie soundtrack, Mark Ronson said that like a million people have probably asked Nicki Minaj to rap over this song over the last many years because Barbie is her nickname. Uh, but I was a little underwhelmed by the song. I don't it it doesn't it doesn't it didn't give me what I thought I was going to get which yeah same I really thought I was going to get like a lot of like Aqua's Barbie yeah. girl on it and it's and it's a lot of like hinting and sort of sniffing around it but it doesn't really kind of give me the obvious like I I I kind of wanted like Nicki Minaj like ah, over like Barbie Girl yeah and I didn't get well, that and ma- I mean I it's sort of there but it's not quite all the way there maybe but maybe she was like I don't want to give you that that's not the intention of what Nicki Minaj and I Spice wanted well that's to what do. I was gonna say maybe it was a little bit like lower key than that because of her teaming up with Ice Spice who is a more understated rapper than say yeah. Nicki doing her monster verse or something. Um, yeah, but did you did you even need Ice Spice necessarily? Not then? necessarily. Not, and I like no. I don't dislike Ice Spice, but I think that I wanted a little bit more of an impact with this song personally. I still think it's cool though that Aqua is getting credit yes. for this, um, which I doubt they probably did anything on here except grant the sample, right? But you know, sometimes if you're an artist and you have a contract, you can make things happen. Um, 
It's pretty cool that Barbie World matches the peak of the song it samples, Aqua's own Barbie Girl, which hit number seven in 1997. That is crazy. It is weird. Um, though it does feel like, it doesn't feel like Barbie Girl probably should have been a higher charting song. It was probably at that time when they probably didn't have much of a physical release and it probably charted mostly off of airplay. That actually, yeah, guess. that doesn't surprise me too much. I would, I would imagine that, you know, I, if you had asked me out of the blue, I would have guessed it was a top 10 hit, not like a number one, but that's just what I would have guessed. Hmm. And I guess I would have been right. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, should we move on to some news, Keith? Uh, yes, I've, I've, yes, please. Um, uh, the first bit of news that we have is um, some scary and sad news. Uh, on Wednesday last week, not long after we recorded our podcast for last week, actually, Madonna's longtime manager, Guy Osiri, announced on Instagram that the pop star had been hospitalized with a, quote, serious bacterial infection and that she would be pausing her planned celebration tour, which was set to kick off on July 16th in Vancouver. Um, now, at the same time, Page Six reported that she had been found unresponsive at her home on Saturday and that she was rushed to the hospital. But Team Madonna has not confirmed those very scary, very serious sounding details. Um, what was confirmed was that Madonna is now at home recovering. And that's kind of what we know on the official record as of now. Keith, do you have anything to add? I know, obviously, uh, Madonna's your girl. You've probably been following this quite closely. It's a very it was a scary bit of news last week. Yeah, um, I also tiny, tiny little correction. The tour is supposed to kick off on July 15th in Vancouver. Oh, I had um, my date wrong. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, when I uh, I mean, Madonna has been posting lots of behind the scenes moments and images from rehearsals for the tour now for a while. Um you know, every few days you could see something where she would share some images or kind of video, you know, just sort of the typical stuff. And um, things seem to be going well. And I had no uh, hint of anything kind of being awry, um, which is why I was very surprised by Guy's post. Yeah. Luckily, she uh, is now apparently at home and she's doing well, according to... Guy has not posted anything since this post, and Madonna has not posted anything at all. No, since but this Billboard happened. has been able to confirm that she returned home and is recovering at home. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, it, Madonna Madonna fans know that she's uh, great friends with the actress Debbie Mazar, and of course Rosie O'Donnell, who was her co-star in A League of Their Own, and both have posted since then that um, Madonna is doing well. And that she's uh, recuperating. So both of them seem to have have some sort of direct knowledge and they've posted things on their public accounts so that um, the fans who are clamoring to have any bit of information can be uh, calmed down, I suppose. So I'm fully imagining that um, the tour, which is not an important thing right now in the grand scheme of things, um, will be delayed and postponed probably drastically yeah um so that she can recuperate and i and you didn't ask me for all this katie i'm so sorry to just sort of like you know blather but it does you know people have to remember that our pop stars are not superheroes and you know she is in her uh 60s 
albeit obviously a different kind of human because she has been a very healthy, you know, uh, clean living uh, lady for a very long time who has always been um, very mindful of keeping her body in tip top shape. Um, but, you know, we have talked about how her last tour was plagued with a lot of um, postponements and illnesses and cancellations. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're able to find a way to get her out there and have her perform a show that she is comfortable with that also doesn't sort of overexert her or get her ill again. Yeah. Um, because I think she really I think she probably really wants to get out there and tour and perform. But I also think, you know, you have to be mindful of uh, what your body can actually withstand the toll that it can take on your body for sure. Yeah. Well, we're happy to hear that she's at home. Obviously we send well wishes and uh, it's, I'm, we're glad to be on the other side of some scary news from last week. So um glad to at least have a positive update of her being resting at home now. On our next news, we have Olivia Rodrigo, who unveiled her new song Vampire last week, which is the lead single from her sophomore album Guts, due out in September. So let's take a quick listen to Vampire now. Okay, let's talk first impressions. Um, You know the last lead single we ever heard from Olivia Rodrigo was the song driver's license, which is what sort of put her on the map as a gigantic pop star it was the lead single from her debut album sour before that. We had only heard her in the context of high school musical, the musical, the series. So there's probably a comparison to be made. Another, uh, you know, ballad might be the word actually Olivia herself described it as a ballad in her interview with uh, billboards, Jason Lipschitz. But it's a little more than that because it, it definitely progresses into a uh, like quite driving, upbeat, fast-paced song at the end. Yeah, it's like th- it's like almost like three different songs kind of smushed together. Totally, um, and it's also giving sort of rock opera vibes, or you know, My Chemical Romance has been brought up a lot when people have been talking about this song. It's it's cool how it starts out. As a piano ballad, I mean, you could think that you were going in a driver's license direction from like the first, you know, few chords of the piano. And then obviously it just evolves a lot as the song yeah. progresses. I think that, uh, you know, it's in the vein of her very personal songwriting that we got to know through Sour. Um, and so there's a lot of people, um, you know, making a lot out of theories about who it could be about because it all sounds very autobiographical. And we've all been trained by Taylor Swift to, like, ask the question, like, do we know who inspired the song? Um, and so there's a lot of that and picking out little details like, oh, you were with this person for six months. You you know, he only comes out at night. Little like tidbits like this. What does this Is it all mean? Okay that I just don't care about that. Uh, yes, it's it's okay. You don't care about a twenty year old's love life. Yes, I just I really don't care. Like I really don't, like I want to like. But I, it is a piece of the fandoms, like uh, the way that they're yeah. dissecting the song. It's funny, like I as as a general music fan, mm-hmm. I've never thought about music really in that way. Mm. Well, like, I've never. You might I've be never, alone in that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, do you really think of music that way when you listen to a song for the, even when you were younger, Katie? Were you just like, "Ooh, who was Justin Timberlake singing about oh, in this song?" Oh, hundred percent, Justin Timberlake. Yes. Really? Yes. Cry oh. me a river. Like where he I mean, literally well, I, put a Britney Spears lookalike in the music okay, video. Well, that was different. Like he went, he went out of his way to sort of make that imagery. 
I never thought of that. Like when I was listening to like, you know, when I like really started to get into like, I don't know, effing Madonna. But like I wasn't thinking like, ooh, who's she singing about? I'm like, I don't really care. Well, I, th- I think that I'm it, in the minority. No, I, I mean, obviously there are songs that we could think of that are um, from years and decades before that. Like uh, for you're instance, so vain by Carly. Exactly. Simon. Being yes. the prime example of where people are like, who is this about? Um, but she, not but every she, but, song warrants that, but a lot of songs do. And I think that, like I said, Taylor Swift has sort of trained everyone to think that way, as if everything is that literal, that clearly autobiographical, when it isn't always. A lot of artists write cryptically, write symbolically about things, and it's not like exactly what happened to them, you know? Frankly, it's social media that just that just ignites this sort of thing. It like does. Without social media and our ability to communicate with other stands, you wouldn't have this sort of thing. Also, Carly invited that. The song lyrics are, you're so vain, I bet you think the song is about you. So when the chorus itself is inviting someone to be like, I bet you think this song is about you. Well, I don't know. Who is the song about, Carly? As opposed to, like, Olivia is not saying, like, I wonder who this song is about, vampire. Right, but she is saying things, like I said, like, uh, you know, I spent six months with you. She is putting in very, like, specific details like that. And obviously in Driver's License, the same, like, the blonde-haired girl, like, things like that that she's putting in there that are about actual human beings and because she was already in the like tv world at that point it's like other famous human beings and people that are prominent public figures and people that other people care about so she's actually done that from the very beginning and jason actually asked her about uh putting you know this vampire song out now where she's at like a different level of fame and she said when she wrote driver's license she didn't think anyone was going to hear it you know, she wrote it specifically about these other people and literally didn't know if a soul would listen to that song. Whereas when she puts Vampire out, she's very clearly knows that everybody knows what she's been doing the last two years and what so, the song might be about. Therefore, if you're a smart cookie <laughs> and have learned from someone who you look up to, Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, mm-hmm. and your own experiences with driver's license Mm -hmm. and the magnifying glass put on your life, you should probably not make it so obvious what something is about and change it enough so that, you know, it's kind of a little bit more cryptic and vague. I don't think that's how the uh, the young pop stars are operating, Keith. Then, then frankly, no They're one should ever a date a pop life. star. Well, I mean, uh, that's I think that's the buyer beware of dating a pop star today. Also, knowing that anything they put out after could be you could be accused of being the inspiration. You know, I read something the other day. I don't know if it was true or not, but it's like how allegedly there's like this whole cavalcade of celebrities that forced certain people to sign non-disclosure agreements before they go on a date with yes. them. Yes. Raven, like, Raven Simone was the headline we did that about. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm like, does Olivia have that? Apparently not. Or if she does, I guess the person that she dates doesn't have that can't tell anyone about anything, <laughs> but she can. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, not saying that's what happened. It's I've just, referenced you know. Jason's interview a few times now. Um, I did want to share a quote that she had for him. He asked her. You know why she picked Vampire to be the lead single from Guts and she said as the album was coming together we were coming up with a bunch of songs that we really liked but this one always stuck out to me as something that I felt like was honoring my singer songwriter roots but felt like an evolution in a good way that wasn't too stark and so I really liked it for that and it was always one of my favorites. Okay translation. Yeah. 
translation, she's like, I need to give you something that was that was kind of echoing the last album yep. to not make it so jarring. But I want to have indications that I've actually grown. Yes. Um, which is the problem that anyone dropping a sophomore album has where it's like you need to give people, meaning the industry, radio, streaming services, whatever, something that is familiar but also maybe a little bit different at the yeah. same time to yep. keep yourself happy and keep the fans kind of interested. So, I mean, the, when you start to hear the song, you're like, oh, this echoes driver's license. Yeah. Well, I made the comparison. Yeah. I made the comparison to driver's license, but I actually think that the more apt comparison on Sour is the song Traitor, which I think was the last single she released um, from Sour. And Traitor is another one that is very it's 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 a little more overdramatic and and very pointed and and angry at a single human being. It's got kind of that same vibe. But then to her point and our point, it took a little bit of a turn, um, a sonic turn that was not on Sour. So she is, you know, she's moving along and and doing new things as well. Um, Keith, I'm guessing you don't know, but. Where might it land on the charts next week? <laughs> Having the foggiest. <laughs> We're recording this on a Monday, and I have, I, I got nothing. You got nothing. I, I mean, nothing. just like I said, Aqua's Barbie Girl felt like a top 10 hit. I'm going to be honest, this one feels like a number one debut to me, and I have no chart knowledge nor uh, data of any nature. I'm just saying it feels like a song that made a big enough splash to potentially debut at number one next week. I mean, certainly her record label, Interscope, is kind of doing um, everything they can to ensure probably a number one. I mean, they've had they've been taking pre-orders of a CD single, cassette single and a vinyl single on her web store for a little bit now. Um, So they're trying to make sure there's lots of ways to purchase it. And I'm assuming that it's probably going to have a really, really robust streaming number because not only will it have audio on demand streams, it's also going to have music video helping it along. Oh, and Keith, I got to go see the premiere of the music video in person last week. Oh, that's right. I saw that. I didn't even realize you went to that. Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, they did a YouTube premiere at the YouTube office in Playa Vista, California. And um, they set up the whole it was the Spruce Goose hangar, like Howard Hughes's airplane hangar that they turned into a series of little vignettes from the vampire music video that a bunch of YouTube creators and fans who were also invited, probably like I would say there were like a 100 people there or something. So small, but not. So it's a room full tiny. of fans and influencers and you. And me. And like me and like two other journalists. And that <laughs> oh, was it. That's it? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so there were little vignettes that the creators could like, um, you know, recreate scenes from the music video in. And it was funny because we were all there like two hours before the video actually premiered. And so you just kind of were like, I wonder what this grassy knoll with this like old timey <laughs> vintage microphone has to do with anything. And then you see the video and you see that's like how she starts out the video holding on to this, you know, vintage mic and, and sitting on like in like a field. So there were things like that that, um, you know, just called back to the video. And then she herself came out and spoke for probably a minute or so ahead of the, the premiere. And she went live to do that. So that was like broadcast to all the YouTube watchers who were um, watching the premiere on YouTube, like watching it tick down and waiting for the video to premiere. Wow. So, yeah, it was cute. And I it, it gave me, you know, it, it just like 
it made you think of a, a song premiere and a music video premiere being sort of an event. Like I was at a literal event, but then obviously people were tuned in around the globe to watch it live as well. And I kind of love those moments where pop stars make there's their music feel like big events. Like it just, and Taylor does this all the time too, makes like each premiere, each everything turn into this like gigantic moment. And it felt like that, which was cool. I liked that she, she did that, made it special. You know, did you get to interact with her in any capacity? No. She, so she walked through the crowd um, like of creators, took some pictures with the like YouTube kids. A mm. kid asked her to prom. I put this in my story like he had his one moment with with Olivia. And she said she didn't say no. She said, give me your number. So, you know, maybe um, hey, shoot your shot, kid. She said, I always wanted to go to prom. So, you know, obviously she missed prom doing a few things in her life. Um, and then she just went up to the stage. And like I said, spoke for like a minute and then she vanished like a vampire into the night. Um, but thankfully, Jason got to have that really nice interview with her that posted right at midnight on Friday. So Billboard did get to speak with her and got a few details about, you know, what the what the rest of the album sounds like. And um, I'm sure we'll be reporting on it at length over the next few months. All right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. ago. Paul McCartney and Wings debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 with Live and Let Die, the title song from the James Bond film of the same name. The explosive track would go on to peak at number two on the chart for three consecutive weeks. At the time, it was the highest charting Bond theme song ever. A couple years later, Carly Simon's Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me would also top out at number two. Now, Bond wouldn't get his first number one until Duran Duran's A View to a Kill from the film of the same name topped the list in 1985. The most recent Bond film, No Time to Die, uh, which was released in 2021, generated a number 16 Peking Hot 100 hit for Billie Eilish, who also won the Academy Award for Best Original Song alongside her brother Phineas, for writing the track. So there you have it. 50 years ago this week, Paul McCartney and Wings flew on to the Ha 100 with Live and Let Die, eventually reaching number two. Say live and let die. Live and let die. Katie, mm-hmm. so Live and Let Die was number two for three weeks. Uh, can you take a wild stab at the three different songs that blocked it from number one? You know, because we talked earlier about, you know, Young Thug is the 11th album to be blocked from number one on the Billboard 200. I thought I'm like, oh, gosh, Live and Let Die is such a huge song that everyone knows. It's one of McCartney's yeah. most iconic songs. It's kind of like it's a rock opera in a way because it starts off one way and ends a little bit differently, bombastically, bombastically. And um, you've seen McCartney perform this live, by the way, as well. Um, I have. Oh, my God. And it was incredible at Dodger Stadium. Uh, so we're talking about 1973, right? 1973. So I thought, oh, gosh, certainly a song this big would have been blocked by some massive multi-week number one. Nope. Mm-hmm. Three different number one songs. And now are all three of these songs like uh, epic songs that, you know, live on to this day, like that I will all know? Them? I will say <laughs> you may not know any of them 
Oh, wow. Okay, and I, well, I only knew two of them by name. And the third one I had to go listen to. And I'm like, mm, I think I know this. Oh, we're off to a rough start then. Yeah. Early 70s. Yep. Early 70s. This is not going to go well. I, I don't even know if I can like guess artists. I, I Led Zeppelin. And then continue. No. <laughs> All right. I'll just tell you. How about that? Yes, please. All right. The first one was Maureen McGovern's The Morning After. <laughs> okay. That was not going to be any of my guesses. Okay. Which, which is also a song from a film. It was from uh, the, it was either Poseidon Adventure or The Towering Inferno. I think it was from The Towering Inferno. <laughs> okay. Um, and I believe, I think it won the Oscar for oh. Best Original Song. Um, let me just, let me just double check that. Yes, it did win. It's got to be and it is it's no but it's the Poseidon adventure, not Shoot. the Towering Inferno, so So yeah, did it did it win It won. It won. Against a, a Live and Let Die. Oh well. Okay, no, okay, so the morning after won best original song for nineteen seventy two. The following year, Live and Let Die was nominated for Best Original Song. Uh-huh. It lost to The Way We Were. From oh the I way mean, we were. As it should have. And then the following year, <laughs> the following year, another uh, song performed by Maureen McGovern. She did not write it. Uh, we May Never Love Like This Again from The Towering Inferno. Oh, I wonder why you had made that mistake <laughs> in the first place. How could you have gotten this confused? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it, ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's get her to come she, back to do another disaster movie song. Was she like the Kenny Loggins of, of her time? <laughs> Just doing every like movie theme song? <laughs> I mean, those are the two. Those are the two really big ones. Um, anyway, okay, that's the first one. Okay, so there's two more songs. <laughs> the next one is Diana Ross with "Touch Me in the Morning." Now that's a name I could have guessed. Okay, but do you know "Touch Me in the Morning"? Yeah. Is that a lie? <laughs> it's a half truth because I'm like that seems familiar, and now I need to listen to it to actually confirm that. Like I, I know that song title. But I don't, I can't start singing it to it's you. It's probably because you've just seen it on things that we've written. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you know The Morning After? Uh, no, I've never. And I, I like literally don't even know if Maureen McGovern's name was in my head until this episode of the podcast. Wow. All right. Well, Sorry, the th- then the third one, you absolutely positively will not know. Okay. <laughs> what is it? It is a song called Brother Louie by a band named The Stories. Yep. I I'm, I don't know. That. Somehow these three songs all blocked "Live and Let Die" from number one. Wild. Which I do. I, I, why do I feel like I know Brother Louie though? I'm gonna. I'm playing Brother Louie real quick. <laughs> you may one know second. the chorus if you skip one to the second. chorus part. Okay. Oh, this is a cool song. <laughs> oh yeah. I actually know Brother Louie. I know this song. Okay, it's not Louie Louie. It's not that oh, song. Oh, I know that. I just listened to it. I know and I know it. <laughs> it's a song I I've mean, heard. Like, when you said the song title, I'm like, Brother Louie, I know that song. But the stories, I, I did not know stories. I don't yeah, I'm not familiar with stories. There, there's a whole cavalcade of like 70s artists where like if I look at the, the song title and the band name, I have the foggiest who they are. But if you mm-hmm. play it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of familiar. That one. That one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> them. Um, okay well anyway sorry that's that was the second half of the chart stat of the week sorry everyone all right what song uh should we go out on wait i just have to bring up also the fact that we randomly unrelatedly brought up carly simon twice in this show right which is actually surprising 
Maybe we should go out on a Carly Simon Nobody song, does it better. No, Well, maybe that's the one. Yeah, why didn't she just call the song <laughs> The Spy Who Loved Me? Uh, you know, I don't that's know. What you, that's what you're supposed to do with James Bond songs. They're right. supposed to be named after the title of the movie. Right. And, like, I can get why it would be hard to do a song called Octopussy. Like, that might be difficult. <laughs> but, like, The Spy Who Loved Me, like, and uh, she does say the lyric in the song. She does reference, she actually literally sings The Spy Who Loved Me. It should be the parenthetical title, The Spy Who Loved Me, at the very least. Well, like, when, <laughs> what was the name of the, what was Sam Smith's uh, song? Writings on the Wall. But it's from what movie? Uh, Quantum of Solace? No, was it? I think maybe. Let's look. Okay. Jeez. Writings. We have to check everything. On the <laughs> Writings on the wall. It's like we work at Billboard. Do we oh, know? It no? wasn't. Spectre. Spectre. And I should have known that because uh, it w- there was like a huge report about the fact that Radiohead had been approached first to write the song. Oh, right. And they, they actually wrote a song called Spectre. It's and really, it, it it's really cool sounding. Declined. It got declined and, and Writings on the wall, which obviously went on to win the Oscar, so like good for Sam. Yeah. Um I still I still feel like <laughs> Sam could have called it, you know, Spectre. <laughs> Let the Spectre. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe oh they God. made the right decision. <sighs> okay, so wait, what song are we going out on? What are we doing? Carly Simon, Nobody Does It Better. The Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> Parenthetical title as of 2023. <laughs> as of now. The Spy Who Loves Me. All right, see you guys next time. Bye. Nobody does.